Welcome back to Ravens Recap. Unfortunately, our Steelers fan is hoping to join us next time we play, but he's actually about to move and uh, cannot join us today. But Kfish is here. Correspondent Kfish, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for uh, having me on again, guys. So we decided to combine the Steelers preview episode and predictions with our midseason review because the Steelers are able to challenge every aspect of the Ravens, and we think it'll be a really holistic game, and we'll learn a lot from it. So where do we want to start? Well, I mean, I guess we can just do a, start with a quick look at what the Ravens have done so far this year. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this knows the Ravens started the year 5-1, and one, the one loss being yet again to the Kansas City Chiefs in a game that was far from as close as we would have liked it. And maybe, well, I think it's the root cause of a, of a lot of any angst the fan base has around this team and how they look going forward. With that said, though, I think it's good to start out with some healthy discussion on how we feel about this team at this point. Do we feel as confident as we did coming into the season that this team is one of the four best or best team in the NFL, or do we want them to perform a little better to feel better going into a postseason spot this year? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, for the past couple of weeks, we've kind of, most of us on the pod have kind of taken a mindset of basically like, well, we're five and one, so that's a really good record. And while the Ravens have had some problems, uh, we think they're going to figure it out. But looking at the whole landscape of the NFL, and particularly the AFC, I tell you what, guys, it's going to be a lot harder for the Ravens. It's gonna, There's going to be less room for error. I mean, we look at the Steelers. They're an undefeated team. They haven't lost a game this year. The Browns, of, of all teams, are 5-2. and two. So, I mean, they're a game behind the, the Ravens, which is absolutely insane. Like, I don't think many of us would have expected that. So, uh, this game, you know, being a divisional game becomes all the more important for the Ravens to win to keep pace and hopefully pass the Steelers. And, you know, if, you know, if you drop this game, now you're tied up with the Browns. It's going to be a lot harder to try and make up lost ground. Yeah, I agree. I think pretty early on, we didn't really look at the standings of the AFC much last year as we were going from week to week because it became pretty clear pretty early that the Ravens were going to run away with the AFC North. The Steelers, with Big Ben going down early, had no answered backup quarterback. The Browns, after September, fell off, and Cincinnati was worst team in the league. So, uh, you know, it was just once we realized that the Ravens are going to win the division and then they beat the Patriots— they were just looking at what's the seed going to be. It was number one. Don't look back. But yeah, you're 100% right, Chris. The Bills are off to a hot start. The Titans are surprising. I can't believe they're 5-1, and one, but they have looked incredible against everyone except for COVID. <laughs> uh, Chiefs are still 6-1. and one. I do think, though, it is interesting. If you do look at the AFC, although there's a lot of teams with high records, there's only six teams with a positive point differential. Cleveland, despite being at 5-2, and two, only has... It's only 10 points better in point differential than 1-5-1 and one Cincinnati at minus 21 to Cincinnati's minus wow. 31. Bills are closer to even, but still minus four. So I think you look at that, and I, th- I think that's more indicative of what's going to happen as the season progresses than current record right now. Not saying that we should dismiss the Browns and Bills, but I think it's something to, to note. But yeah, I agree with Pittsburgh, Tennessee, and Kansas City right now. All three of those teams look, you could make the argument they're at the level the Ravens are better right now. So 
definitely looks like it's shaping up harder right now than last year. The Ravens haven't put together a full game, and I think that's why a lot of Ravens fans are getting a little anxious about the team, even though we have a better record than we did this time last year. And I guess we talked about it last episode. There's still plenty of time for the Ravens to start to click. And I guess I'm overall in the place of, like I said at the top of this episode, I think this game, the Steelers game, is going to be one of the biggest games of the year and pretty defining moment. Uh, not just because of the record implications and the standings, but we're coming off a bye. We typically do really well in those situations. So we kind of have to bring it. And if we don't, it'll bring even more doubt to the fan base. And I think it'll be a pretty big knock on the Ravens' confidence. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sit here and echo all the same points, but I think they're all pretty valid. The Ravens haven't been great, but they've been winning. And that's what you need to do at the end of the end of the day and everybody you know from the fan base thinks you know the offense isn't great but we're still averaging almost 30 points a game i'm not sure what that the exact number is but not every team puts up 30 points a game actually k fish you're you're basically one point behind on it the ravens have scored 179 this year divide that by six that's 29 point what eight eight seven or something (laughs) so right there i mean and going to kind of your point where with point differential if you look at the teams like the Browns, anytime they've played a good team, which has just been us and the Steelers, they've gotten smoked. So that's, to me, that 5-2 and two record is, uh, it's kind of artificial. And then the Bills, same thing. Um, their thing is, once their deep passes have kind of been cut off, Josh Allen has reverted back to what he was last year, which is good, not great. And they need him to be almost MVP-like to continue the way they were going. With John Brown injured, I think that's really taken a big dimension out of their team and made them all focus on Diggs. And as good as Diggs is, if the whole focus is on him and the running game has completely been nullified, I don't know what happened there, but they're not able to run the ball anymore. Yeah, you're going to have problems on offense. You're selling my guy Cole Beasley short there. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to kind of switch gears a little bit, uh, go back to the Ravens. So one piece of news I think that's probably pretty interesting that uh, you know a lot of people have been talking about the last day or so, which should help the Ravens, hopefully, especially on their defense. Uh, the Ravens made an in-season trade. Who here was expecting that? I was. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, well, I think we were all expecting a trade. Um, I don't know if we kn- all knew who it was for. <laughs> Oh, it wasn't for this guy. This was a, a great surprise. The player was a surprise. The uh, trade itself, not a surprise. I feel like this is a new part of the Ravens formula. You'll see it a lot. It's also kind of crazy because like they were, um, he reworked his contract. There was like uh, like three or four steps that had to go that happened before we could even trade for him. Realistically, he reworked his contract for Minnesota, brought his total uh, total pay down. And then the fact that he played a handful of games with uh, Minnesota, they cover the tab for the handful of games. So now his, you know, final price or like how much we have to pay is now able to be slid under our salary cap with what little bit we had left. So it was like all the all the things had to line up perfectly. And it just so happened to work that way. Yeah. And of course, we're talking about uh, Yannick Ngakwe. 
I, I knew you guys. None of you guys were going to say it. None of you were going to say his name, but I took the chance right now and just said his name. All right. I'm sure he knows everywhere he's been. His name's extremely hard for white people like us to pronounce, but I gave it a shot. But uh, but yeah, I'm excited about this. Um, I, I think it's kind of, you know, it's it's crazy, man. Eric DaCosta, just, we knew that we were going after this guy in the offseason wanted to make a trade because people, you know, uh, some people were thinking that we could upgrade from, from Judon a little bit with this guy. I, I don't know how much I, I still feel about that, but being able to have both of them on the roster, even if it's just for one year, you got to think they could do some damage if they everything comes together, right? Well, I argue it's not to replace uh, Judon. I think they're totally different players um, because Yannick is not able to, like, cover right he's not <laughs> he, he is not judon in that regard he's basically a situational pass rusher so i'm excited to have him i'm i'm thinking it's gonna mean big things for all of our players because the second you add another guy of his caliber it makes it less challenging for the other players to step up because they're not getting as many matchups and uh i forgot who said it but the reason i made a comment that I think this is going to be a commonplace for the Ravens. It seems like our scheme is to trade for who will be free agents the next year and then sign them so that you can kind of scheme away losing like comp picks. Yeah. And I think you also don't want to give away assets. I mean, that's, that's always the case. You don't want to give away assets and then have them walk out the door for nothing. What happened with Marcus Peters if we didn't resign and right. will happen next year if we don't um, resign Donick. It's also just a great way to, to court free agents if you think about it. You know, just get them get them in there early, let them see how it is in the system, and get to know the players, and then you have a winning season on top of it. It's pretty easy to talk them into to a long term contract. <laughs> Set up the exit interview and just lock the doors and like, <laughs> here's some contracts. Just kind of feel out which one you like. But as far as signing him, I don't want to say it was a reactionary trade. I think we needed pass rush, but. With the Chiefs being who they are, the last two weeks, it's looked like the bo- both teams that they've played that had a little bit of success, Las Vegas and and the defense of the Broncos, both those teams were able to generate pass rush with just their down linemen. They didn't have to do all these exotic bl- blitzes that we're known for. And I think that was kind of leaning on DaCosta's mind that like the real way to stop Mahomes is to to pack the secondary, but you still need to get a pass rush with four guys. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, there's the other thing that also played into it too, is that Assembly was healthy when the Ravens played the Chiefs, and then he's been out. I guess he will be for an extended period of time. I think he's on IR, right? Mm. So I'm sure, I'm sure that played into it as well. But yeah, I mean, you you know, I think you're right, Kay Fisher, that Tacosta was looking at the the market out there, and they saw Minnesota like, hey, they're one in five. I don't think that they expected to be a one in five. Definitely did not. You know, Minnesota's been one of those teams who have been perennial playoff teams. And, you know, they've always just kind of come up short for whatever reasons, even though it seems like every year they're able to get past the Saints. But then beyond that, they're not able to do as much damage as they want. And so to start out one in five, yeah, it certainly seems like that team is is heading for some sort of rebuild. And so, yeah, just it's awesome just to have DaCosta just pounce on those losing teams and just be like, you know, who you want to give up? <laughs> I couldn't believe when when I heard it that the Vikings wanted to make another deal with the Ravens. Like I imagined it's like what a 
you know, what a preschool bully feels like if the kid was to come back and say, can I have another? Like, <laughs> we definitely fleece them with Vidvec. There's, there's no doubt. And then this just seems like another slam dunk. I love that analogy. Oh, man. And the, the other thing about Yannick, though, that I think we got to bring up before we, we move on is, is, you know, hometown guy. Grew up in Bowie, I believe. Played football at uh, College Park. And also was teammates with uh, Calais Campbell in Jacksonville on that 2017 defense that made it all the way to the AFC Championship game, basically carrying Blake Bortles' body the whole way through. And I think that right there is an underrated advantage of this trade is that these two guys already have chemistry playing together. So like, I think that's going to make Yannick have even more of a splash early on than, than maybe if, if a, a guy like Campbell wasn't there. Yeah. I definitely think they, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the interview with Calais Campbell, where they were like, did you hear the news? And he was like, no, what happened? And they're like, we traded for Yannick. And he's like, oh, he didn't even hit me up. And then he like pulled out his cell phone and he was like, oh, I have a bunch of calls from him. <laughs> yeah, and like a text yeah, saying, so. call me. <laughs> the other thing that I, I find really interesting is like, you know, we want to re-sign him and he's trying his best not to give away all the leverage. But like at the same time, he's like, my mom lives around here. I want to be near my mom. Great <laughs> right. organization. Like he he lobbied to be here like he lobbied for us to trade for him in the off season like it's another i mean we've already said it DaCosta did great here but i think i think it's gonna be a long-term great ad i'm definitely excited to see this guy suit up in purple and get after the quarterback and i think he has a good opportunity to do that against the guy who never wants to go down ben roethlisberger <laughs> so i am very hyped to see this guy in purple there was one negative though he said he was a Steelers fan growing up, which is terrible. Yeah, I don't know. We can't put too much stock in that. You know, remember how everybody was so excited when Michael Crabtree came here and was like, oh, I grew up a Ravens fan. Like, the fan base turned on him so quickly after that season, so I don't, <laughs> I don't think it even matters. <laughs> like, it's still cool, but Crabtree, you know, you weren't what we thought, man. All right, well, now that we're talking about how this new – the newest Raven grew up a Steelers fan. Hopefully, all that's beside him, and he takes out his newfound excitement of playing for the Ravens out on Ben Roethlisberger. This will be an interesting quarterback matchup. This will be the first time it's Lamar Jackson versus Ben Roethlisberger. Lamar Jackson, despite this being his third year in the league, this will only be his second start against Pittsburgh, and... Roethlisberger was not the quarterback on the opposite side of the field that day. He was hurt. So that's going to be an interesting matchup to watch. It'll be interesting to see how Lamar does in this game. I mean, Steelers defense will get into it. The front seven, very strong, best run defense in the league. Secondary has been a disappointment for them this year. So there's looks to be a place the Ravens can attack. And after the bye week last year against New England, that was one of Lamar's best games of the season. So some fans are been a little impatient for Lamar to get back into that MVP form from, I guess, a stats perspective that he was at last year. But what do we think the chances are that Lamar like goes off for like a four or five touchdown performance <laughs> against the Steelers? Uh, <laughs> I don't think that would be my bold prediction, but I would love if it had happened <laughs> for sure. 
I think for absolutely. I mean, the Ravens coaching staff needs to, you know, really need to to put in the work for this game coming up. Um, you know, just I think what you said earlier, Alec, you know, to make sure the fan base is, you know, going in confident and the team's going in confident with like a win like this to come off a bye and and then lose to the Steelers at the home game. The first one that's going to have fans too. I mean, you know, you don't really want to do that, especially with, you know, the high expectations that the Ravens have. I would say it's a 30% chance of uh, a complete dominating performance by Lamar where people are chanting MVP in the stands because, uh, I mean, yeah, they're a good defense, so I wouldn't say it's a, an easy slam dunk, but I think Lamar is getting primed up for a breakout game, and there's just enough surrounding things happening to make me think it's possible, just with the break and extra preparation, etc. Yeah, I don't expect this one to be a blowout, so if we're going to put a arbitrary percentage, I would say it's a 10% chance that Lamar just has this amazing game, but I don't think he even needs that for us to win. If he could just have, you know, a semi-decent game, uh, work through their pass rush um, using his feet, I think we can get out with a win pretty convincingly. Yeah, I think the big wild card for me is is actually Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but personally, I know I thought this of I was not expecting him to get back to the band that we're used to seeing from like 2014 to 2018 when it was the triple B's when Antonio Brown was not a, a mad case and Le'Veon Bell was still on the team like that Ben Roethlisberger is pretty scary and it certainly looks like he's gotten back to the form here which is, has been a huge surprise to me and uh you know he's had a lot of weapons to throw to it seemed like it seemed like last year Juju was like the only person on the team, but now Deontay Johnson and Claypool are like all these all these new weapons that are you know all clicking uh, during every single game. You know maybe not all of them are going to be here uh, to suit up against the Ravens, but it's certainly from uh, from any time over the last like year or so, like this has got to be one of the better offenses that the Steelers have put forward. So I think that's really the wild card for me is is how well do they play against our defense. You know, is is training for Ngakwe, is is there going to be a learning curve there? Is, or is he just going to come in and just wreck shit up? Man, I don't know about you guys. I watched a little bit of the baseball that's been going on. And uh, and I was reminded of, like, the out-of-shape, quote-unquote, first baseman, who, like, completely looks out of uh, sorts with, like, the rest of the players. You know, they're in shape. Kind of reminds me of uh, Big Ben. Like, I was watching him yesterday and he just looks like like the literal armchair quarterback who happens to be really good he's like that guy you play in flag football and you like look at him and he's not that athletic <laughs> but then he just like slings dimes <laughs> like i know he's impossible to bring down and i'm not trying to take that away from him but like he just he looks like an oddball out there yeah like he looks like he might have too many drinks on a thursday if they don't have a game and then <laughs> exactly. like they they tell him tell him oh, to run man. some laps and he just you know, phones it in. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right. He doesn't look like the stereotypical um, quarterback, especially as each year passed by, where uh, the quarterbacks are being are becoming more mobile. He's definitely uh, part of the dying breed. It's definitely true. I've, I've actually always felt Roethlisberger's kind of looked like that though his entire career. Like he really, in my opinion, he's not a flashy quarterback, but he's able to make plays. And I think. I think his footwork's highly underrated. He There was a play early in the game against Tennessee where uh, he had to scramble out to his left while he was being taken down by the Titans defender, just flicked the ball out to, I think it was Eric Ebron, and it ended up being what would have been a seven-yard sack turned into a seven-yard gain. 
uh, just he's just like he's sneaky, sneaky good in that sense. He's just like yeah, it's like Alex just said. You're looking at him and just like that play came out of that body. It's <laughs> kind of hard to believe. But I think one thing to look at Roethlisberger, and if we're gonna look at this, we got to look at how Lamar is struggling in this category too. Roethlisberger is only averaging 6.8 yards per attempt, which is 26 in the league, down there with the likes of uh, Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, and Gardner Minshew. Lamar's not terribly much better at 7.0, but yeah, I think that's something to, to look at. I mean, the deep ball, while both these quarterbacks have been have had success this year, uh, the deep ball for both of them has been few and far between. Yeah, I think it's a good point, Peter. I mean, that's... Uh... That's one thing I think the Ravens have struggled with, in particular, I think, with the last couple of games is really being able to stretch the field and uh, be able to get some more production from uh, the other receivers besides Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews. It seems like even even Hollywood, I don't think, has been truly used that much to uh, stretch the field. I feel like there's only a handful of plays that I can go to uh, where Lamar has been able to hit him deep. I think he's, you know, definitely had more success throwing to Mark Andrews on some of these post and corner routes. You know, for for both teams, you know, being able to stretch these defenses out and try to neutralize some of the pass rush and and be able to hit them in, you know, high leverage situations is, is going to be absolutely crucial. You know, I I feel like you know, this time last year around the Seattle game where, you know, I feel I was a little nervous. Like I think we'd have to go back to to the tape of the Seattle game in 2019, but it was very close. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. if I picked the Ravens, it was just barely. And I kind of feel that way about this game of like, this is a pretty even matchup. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard fought. And, uh, you know, we're just hoping that the Ravens are, you know, be able to come out of this bye and, and be able to put up some things that we haven't seen before. I think the wide receiver position is, is one we definitely want to discuss talking about the second half of the season. Yeah, I think, like you said, Mark Andrews has had some monster games this year, but Hollywood Brown, he hasn't had a bad start to the year, but I do think we're expecting a little more from him. Certainly hasn't had a Pro Bowl-worthy start to the season, and that's really where we expect him to be at some point very soon in his career. But part of it is, you know, he's not getting much help outside the rest of the receivers. Miles Boykin seems to have regressed this year. He's still being a great blocker, but him and Lamar are certainly not on the same page. Uh, But you know, the Ravens still have Willie Sneed there, but he's really your fourth or fifth option when everyone else is covered. And then Devin Duvernay, who's who's done a lot with the attempts he's been given, but at least in the first half of the season, the, he was averaging only really about 18 to 20 snaps a game. So you got to wonder, uh, does the NFL, does the coaching staff not just, just not want to overwhelm him in the beginning of the season? Do they want to give Boykin every shot in the book? I think we're high on Duvernay how much we're going to expect from him in the second half of the season yeah it's just it's crazy just the the star contrast sometimes between you know organizations like the Ravens and the Steelers who I think you know across the NFL I think a lot of fans would look at these teams of like you know they're some of the gold standards in the league of like they have very very stable front offices very little change and they like to do things a certain way and that's kind of like their standard and they do it all the time I mean I think I read an article about how the Steelers basically haven't changed their defense in like 50 years. Like they use the same concepts over and over again, but they're sort of reinventing it with, with new players. And, uh, but that being said, like one of the stark contrasts between the Ravens and the Steelers that the Steelers are just really good at identifying wide receiver talent and developing that talent. I I guess it's crazy to me that, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay uh, Johnson, uh, Chase Claypool, 
like James Washington even maybe to like some extent but like and then you go further back with Antonio Brown Emmanuel Sanders and Santonio Holmes and like all these guys of like they're able to just pick up and develop and this year like week to week you're gonna have guys who can go off and and play really well and it's just it's insane how much production that they get out of those positions whereas the Ravens it's like well we've got Marquise Brown (laughs) and other guys on the team that's about it like you know we just don't put as much stock into this position group and you know it is changing a little bit with the Costa but I think it's going to be a slow progress and to be honest I'm not sure if we're ever going to be getting to the Steelers level in terms of wide receiver development Maybe that's more of a meta question of, you know, how much do we need to actually do that? Maybe it's not as valuable of a position group to the Ravens. I'm not sure. But that's definitely a huge point, I think, for this game is is figuring out, like, who's that number two going to be? Who's the number three going to be? Because we've been saying this for a while, outside of Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews, like, when they're covered, the offense really stalls. Yeah, I was going to follow up to the, like, Steelers draft excellence. It always feels like when we draft a wide receiver, we're just like, uh, maybe he'll be good, but when they, when the Steelers draft a wide receiver, they're like, yeah, he's he's gonna be good. It's gonna take a couple years, but like they're gonna work, they're gonna figure it out. And then, like you said, you have people like Deontay um, Johnson and even James Washington, where nobody really knew that much about them, but now they are productive members. I think in this game, my one of my predictions is gonna be established Miles Boykin, and I think it's gonna be his game to win or lose so to speak uh his like future uh which feels like a bold statement to put all in one game but there's been a lot of dialogue in about it there's been some like throwing under the bus almost from the coaching staff there's a rumble that something needs to happen here and they bring in des bryant to the practice squad today you know the much rumored des bryant is finally a raven and i think they're lighting a fire and they're saying all right man like this is your shot. There's going to have some scripted plays for him. I think the first 20 plays of the game, this is not a bold prediction. It's just a, a thing. Uh, <laughs> I think the first 20, cause I don't feel like charting this. Uh, the, the first 20 <laughs> plays of the game, we're going to see like three scripted plays to mouse boy again, which it feels like a lot in 20 plays. So like, that's my hunch. That's the plan. That's so frustrating. Uh, like to me, that's so frustrating because like, even with we love to see like those plays for Duvernay, but like that shouldn't be the only way we can get those guys the ball. Like a, a specific play, like if it doesn't go to them, while well, the play is scrapped. Like to me, the offense should function in such a way that they're viable options, even if they're the second or third option. Yeah. Um, which is part of the reason why the offense stalls. It's not unique anymore. It's not catching anybody by surprise like i forget which game it was it wasn't the most recent one but it was one before that where they were just sitting on all of mark andrews uh, crossing across the center and it almost ended up in a pick one time a bunch of batted balls like i get wanting to dump on boykins because he's definitely made his fair share of mistakes but at the same time the the routes that they're being told to run aren't working either yeah, I think it's definitely a combination of Boykin not being quite up to snuff yet and the scheme maybe not being quite as creative as it needs to be, especially in comparison to the last season. Uh, I forget who it was in the Cincinnati defense. I think it was one of their safeties even said after the game that they knew the ball was going to, to 89 and 15 all day. 
which I don't know why they said that because they didn't really stop them that game. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. it was kind of like you knew it was coming and they still both got a touchdown that game and you guys lost by quite a bit. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, if, if opposing defenses are, are like, can see that, which I mean, as a fan base, we can clearly see it. It's like they need someone to, to step up. I mean, I, I guess we want to make a prediction on who that's going to be. I, we, we did bring Des Bryant, like, Des Bryant is here on the Ravens. He's on the practice squad. That's a big news story because Des Bryant used to be a big-time receiver in this league. Do we think that moves the needle at all? I, I'll i already say that like I I don't have any high hopes for Des Bryant. I'm on, uh, I'm on Alex's uh, prediction, which is it's, it's strictly a move to tell Boykin, get your shit together. Like, here is someone we'll give a try if you're not going to do anything. Yeah, I mean, it could. I mean, it could be a mentor thing too, right? I mean, having Des like as a resource, like, okay, like Boykin, this is what you know. This is what uh, a receiver we want you to to be like. You know, Des is a guy that you should emulate. Like, we want you to go up for these fifty fifty balls, attack the football, and come down with big plays, right? That's what Des was really good at. I think the Ravens, firstly, are probably thinking that of like, here's a guy that you can model your game off of. But yeah, the the next the immediate next thought is like, you know, your leash is getting smaller. And like, even though this guy might not be the answer this year, this has long term implications for you. Because, you know, I don't I don't think I don't think the Ravens are going to keep Dez beyond next year unless somehow he just reverts to like 2016 Dez or 2014 Dez or something. But highly, highly unlikely for me. And to be honest, I still haven't seen a picture of Dez like signing his contract or like with a Ravens uniform. So I'm personally still, I'm like, I'm not buying it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I I know, like, I know, I know we got more information now and he's tweeted, he's like, he's tweeted and he'd be like, finally, like, thank you and everything. And like, it's still like, it seems official, like 99% official, but I'm still, I'm telling you guys, I'm just not buying it yet because we've seen this happen so often. The Ravens app notification, it's not good enough. Yeah, like, <laughs> their Twitter feed announced it and then like someone did the Photoshop with uh, putting the 88 in purple. Yeah, right. And, dude, anybody could do Photoshop, all right? We've seen so many Photoshop <laughs> but, pictures but, of Dez in a Ravens uniform. But the, the Ravens official Twitter account... <laughs> I know. Like I, like, like I said, it's, well, it's it, like it is a 1% their current pin tweet right now. <laughs> Chris is like, I've been fooled too many times. <laughs> I was actually wondering if like they're going to use these Corona rules to kind of bring him up on game day for a couple times or if like, Oh, maybe they're, they're going to let him get up to speed and then, then bring him up to the active roster. I don't know. Like this is kind of off tangent for the, like the wide receiver debate, but like, I feel like the Ravens are have taken these Corona rules and like maxed them out for um, for like maximum uh, adaptability, and they've used they've they've read all the rules through and through, and they're like, here's what we can do, and and they plan to do that, you know, every week. I, I mean, other teams might be doing similar stuff, and I just don't follow them, but I mean, they're definitely using them to their advantage. Like like you said, I'm not following the other teams, but. I enjoy having such a savvy front office. Like you just know that they're playing the game at a different level than uh, some other GMs out there. It just, it, you just know it. You can feel it in your bones. But uh, yeah, I also <laughs> appreciated how Rabel kept uh, dodging the question about uh, if he intentionally took the penalty in order to <laughs> stop the clock there and all that stuff. 
<laughs> I asked him like three times point blank and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Big surprise. Uh, a Bilicek from <laughs> his, his coaching tree decides to, to stretch the rules. Well, it depends on how far you want to take it, I guess. But continuing on with the receivers, um, I don't know. I figure we can just mention this, but uh, another, uh, I guess it was a rumor that came out was before uh, Ertz got hurt, I think. I don't know if this was confirmed to be reported, but I saw something that the Ravens were supposedly interested in trading for Ertz as kind of like a, a third tight end option. I saw a similar rumor floating around Twitter. And I mean, I I believe it, but I think the problem is the Eagles were hoping for something usable and we were never going to give them something like that for Ertz. Like, right. They were hoping for like a third or a second, and that was never going to be on the table. So, I mean, good for DaCosta to at least look into it. Yeah, I mean, certainly it's something we've looked at, you know, with Hurst going to the Falcons and obviously with the offense being the way it has. And I think some of us as fans have kind of yearned for the better days, I think. And like, you know, hey, what would happen if we did have a third tight end? Like, would the offense, you know, be a little bit more successful because they were you know would have the personnel to be able to run as they did in 2019 I don't know if Ertz is that guy you know he could have been that guy not that it matters now you know it's we're not going to trade for him because he's you know he's hurt he's probably not going to play uh this year if he does uh it might not be later in the season anyway yeah I think the rules get kind of funky once they're on IR I don't think you can even trade for them even within like the three-week IR uh for corona so it's unfortunate because I do think we we need that third, that third tight end, and it makes us miss Hayden Hurst. Even though, like, I'm you know happy for him, he got to be the number one. I do wish we did not pull that trade. You want Dobbins? What's wrong with Dobbins? Come on, man! You can get Dobbins. <laughs> That's a good trend. <laughs> That's a good transition to uh, the running back position. Um, because as we all know, the Hayden Hurst trade allowed the Ravens to get. Uh, that second round pick that would turn into J.K. Tobbins, which uh, at the time, I don't know, Alec, do you want to go through your timeline of love-hate with Dobbins? Because I know you started out, you hated that pick, and then Dobbins became your favorite player ever. And now, where are you with Dobbins? <laughs> I only hate the pick because I really, really wanted Denzel Mims, uh, who's finally healthy and going to start contributing for the Jets, uh, in theory. That's the only reason I hate the, the pick. It's not anything else. I just really had my eyes on somebody else. Now, Dobbins is a cool player. Second, I started actually seeing him play and um, hearing the drum beats in training camp and stuff. I was like, oh, he's going to be special. And that's the kind of juice that we need for a playoff run. Like any any extra bit of juice, instant contributor is something I'm all for uh, in this kind of scenario. So I, I, I warmed up to him and then I started seeing him make some plays. And I was like, give this man the rock. So, you know, Ingram's hurt. He might not be able to play this week, and uh, it might be a great opportunity for Dobbins to get more of a lion's share of the touches and maybe assert his role a little bit further. Yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting week to evaluate the running back position because on one hand, the Ravens are coming off the bye. So if if Dobbins and Gus are getting more carries, like the Ravens are preparing them for that. Um, presumably, um, maybe the game plan changes a little bit since both those guys are a little bit different than Mark. But at the same time, they're going up against the number one rushing defense in the NFL who limited Derrick Henry to 75 rushing yards. 
Now, granted, Derrick Henry had a monster game against the Houston Texans who can't stop any running back. So Derrick Henry's value is really an, an average of those two performances. But with all the struggle that the Ravens had rushing the ball against Philadelphia, I'm I'm nervous that the you know I don't know how I how I see this unit having a huge amount of success against Pittsburgh. Yeah, it might be one of those weird games where like to open up the run, they have to come out and pass, and even do some of the stuff that's being used against us: screen passes, and even to to Dobbins. So that maybe that's where he makes his uh his case for more touches. I think it'll be hard for someone like a Gus Edwards to to outmuscle the uh, the D line of uh, Pittsburgh. I don't know. He did a week seventeen last year. Maybe it could happen again. The week seven where everybody just kind of phoned it in. No, no, week seventeen. Yeah, but like that was what I'm saying. Like Pittsburgh was uh, on their way to a nice Cancun vacation. RG three was in. I mean, if they won that game, they would have had a chance at the six, right? Were they out of contention at that point? Because they finished seven and nine, right? I think at least going into the game they were. I think by the second half, whichever team they were in contention for for the last seed had pulled ahead pretty big, um, okay. if I'm remembering correctly. But yeah, that last game of the season, yeah, I agree. It's kind of hard to know how bought in those players were, even if the Steelers did make the playoffs. like I don't think the, the team had a lot of hope with their QB situation that they were going very far. Uh, so I look more at the week five game from last year as, as maybe what we would look at to kind of gauge our expectations for what the Ravens might be able to do. Lamar had a great day running the ball that game, 14 carries for 70 yards, but Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards, uh, 2.3 yards per carry for Mark and 3.4 for Gus. They both struggled quite a bit. So I'm not saying that, that Dobbins and and Gus can't have success. Um, but I just think that we might have to wait another week before we see what, what those two can do against an, an average uh, a league average defense. Yeah. I think the big thing for me is, is figuring out, you know, whether these, uh, you know, the bye week and then the extra rest is uh, really helps some of the O-line a little bit. Cause as we know, I mean, Stanley has been, has uh, missed some time and uh, Phillips has missed the game. We've had Orlando Brown move to the other side to cover for Stanley. We've had Fluker get in for a couple of games. We've had McCary in for a little bit. We've had powers it feels like training camp of like 2018 through like 2019 guys where we're like, who's going to be playing at the starting five? Um, except it's this time it's, it's going into the regular season. I think for me, that's got to be like a huge part of, you know, whether those backs are going to have success is, is whether, the, you know, one, all those guys are healthy. And two, you know, they have a better game than they did against the Bengals because, you know, I mean, there were plenty of, you know, penalties as we talked about the, the recap episode against the Eagles. There were just so many O-line penalties. Their health and, and the lack of penalties, I think, from them would be huge to the outcome of the Pittsburgh game. Yeah, I think the the bye came at a great time for the offensive line, like you're saying. A lot of a lot of penalties, a lot of guys struggling through injury. I don't know if we really thought the offensive line would be struggling this much when we were going into the season, but I think we did underestimate to some degree just how much losing a Hall of Fame caliber guy like like Yonda would have on the entire unit, um, not even just the guys he plays next to. But if you think about it, like it's a, the the offensive line more than any other position group in the NFL, in my opinion, uh, relies on chemistry. And like if if one chain is weak, then that that lowers the whole unit quite a bit. And 
there was some growing pains in those first six weeks. But I think one thing, if you look at the Ravens historically, it, it feels like at the second half of the season, irregardless of the talent that's actually on the line, uh, they always play better after the bye. It, it seems to be historically that the coaches kind of say like, okay, this is what we have this year. This is how these guys are performing. These are the injuries we have to deal with. And this is going to be the plan of attack going forward of what we can expect realistically given our limitations. And I would expect that to, to continue. Now, does that mean that all of a sudden everyone's going to be playing at a Pro Bowl level? Probably not. But uh, I would I would think that we're going to see improved performance from that unit as a whole going forward. Yeah, definitely a good point. And I mean, you know, and it's not all doom and gloom, right? I mean, you know, one guy who we, you know, we were picking on the first couple of weeks, Matt Skura, I mean, we knew, we knew, uh, you know, he's coming off like an ACL and PCL and like every CL like injury from last <laughs> year. It was, <laughs> it was a heck of an injury. We did not expect him to be uh, playing week one. I mean, I expected him to be on the pup until week six. Like I, I did not expect him to be playing any of these games whatsoever. And he definitely looked like it. The first couple of games, he's a little rough, didn't have as much strength as he you know would want uh, in those legs. But uh, honestly, the, w- the weeks have gone on and like, you know, I've seen Skura less and less, which, you know, as we talk about with O-line, you know, you, the, the less you see them, at least as far as casual fans go, the less you see them, the better they are, right? Because now you're not noticing any problems that are happening on their side of the line. And I feel like I've, I've you know, seen it that way with, with Skura. Week to week, I think he's just gotten better. And, you know, with more uh, time to rest for him, more time for, you know, get more strength back in that knee, I think he's going to come out and, and be even better. And, and hopefully his level of play, you know, uh, continues to go up and you know hopefully we'll provide you know just another presence for you know to to build off of for everybody else yeah i think what was it last game against the eagles he was the he ended up being the only o lineman without a penalty you know hopefully the other guys can clean that up and and like you say you were saying skura has has shown improvement as he gets stronger I'm looking at this line, and I, I got to echo the whole – we talked about last week, the loss of Yonda, uh, I think was understated. We thought that we'd be able to figure out, particularly with, I guess, the strength of the rest of the line, uh, plug somebody in, it won't be the biggest loss. But it's been pretty huge, and uh, you know, Tyra Phillips is obviously a rookie. He's having some growing pains. I'm hoping that his shoulder and hand are healthy so that he can you know be at top power. And uh, – Speaking of power, Ben Powers, who knows if that guy will ever you know, poke his way into the lineup. He's my personal choice. I wouldn't go with McCary if it, would, if it were me, but it does seem like the Ravens prefer McCary for whatever reason uh, in the event that uh, Tyre is not available. So I don't know. Maybe they figured something out. Left out of the conversation is Fluker. Fluker might you know, sub in for right guard, but I don't think they're trying to lose that uh, flexibility of using him as a tackle. So the offensive line, I really do hope that the trend from the past of improving through the bye week continues because they definitely need it. And it'll be a hard game to know, right? <laughs> Again, going back to the fact they're playing the Steelers. That's their that's their strength. Yeah, I mean, not only are they really good at run D, but, I mean, they've got a heck of a lot of pass rushers. I mean, between Vince Williams and Cam Hayward and TJ Watt and Bud Dupree, all of those guys are absolute monsters. <laughs> So, yep. you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be a tough game. None of those guys are going to have much help. They're going to have to win their one-on-one matchups for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if DaCosta attempts to add a a veteran O-line guy from another team through trade, someone just trying to dump and and get some picks. 
unfortunately, uh, last year, if he could have swung that for Osemele, that would have been great, you know, even though he's injured now. But I, I've heard the name uh, Scarif. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right from the football team. Uh, but I don't see that happening, you know, because they have a legitimate chance at the division. <laughs> um, but I'm sure there's a handful of teams out there with some veteran O-line that won't be there next year that maybe DaCosta could end up looking at. Yeah, Kevin Zeitler, I think, is the name that I've heard. I think he, you know, he used to play for the Bengals and the Browns. I think he was both on both those teams. I think now he's with the Giants. Obviously, the Giants aren't going to be doing anything this year in the NFC least. So, um... <laughs> He's he's hey they're not out. Uh, or, yeah, he's, what are they? One be... game out, one game out, two yeah. games. Man, so. dude, the NFL is going to be so proud of themselves. They expand to seven seeds, and then someone in the NFC West doesn't get in because the NFC East winner gets in at six and ten. And just... <laughs> yeah, I remember when people were making such a hubbub about the. Uh, I think it was the Panthers that made it in one year, and they were seven and nine on the NFC South. The, the, the Seahawks. Seahawks. The Seahawks were another year. Yeah, the Seahawks were seven and nine. Panthers were seven, eight, and one. I think that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, both of them made it. So, but the Seahawks, they uh, they made it that one year, and then they beat the Saints. That was the the Beastquake year. Yeah, beast, yeah, Beastquake. That was yeah. I think the Panthers won won their game in their seven, eight, and one year too, and then got crushed by someone. So we already talked about the addition of Yannick uh, to this already strong defensive line of Brandon Williams, Clayus Campbell, and Derek Wolf. Derek Wolf, I guess we'll get to. I don't know if he's going to play this game. I don't know if we've heard an injury update on him. Obviously, he didn't play against the Eagles, and, and Justin Ellis uh, had to come in. Actually, Williams was, didn't play for the Eagles e- against the Eagles either because um, of coming into contact with someone who had COVID, although Williams allegedly did not uh, have COVID. Yep. Uh, side note, yes, Panthers did beat Arizona 27 to 16 when they were 7 8 and 1. But back to the, the topic of the Ravens defensive line. <laughs> unlike unlike the Steelers uh defensive line who are going to have, you know, have the chance to have an easier matchup. Hopefully it's not. The Ravens are going to have a tough matchup. Even as strong as the Ravens defensive line is, that Steelers offensive line is is very strong as well as we talked about in the offseason, a veteran group of guys who've been together for a while for the most part. I'm excited, though, to see Calais Campbell's first game as a Raven against the Steelers, especially after the monster game he had against the Eagles. I think he's hyped up, and, and he's gonna, we're going to be seeing quite a bit of Calais Campbell disrupting things up front and hopefully getting some uh, tip passes, which is something Roethlisberger had difficulty with against Tennessee on Sunday. Right. I'm excited that Brandon Williams didn't have corona because the, like, the difference in rush yards given up uh, when he's not on the field is something like crazy. It's like 40 or 50 yards. Yeah, you brought up a good point, Peter. I think most of the Steelers' line is, has been playing together for a while. I mean, I think all these guys, you know, names you recognize, Marquise Pouncey is a guy who's been there forever. David DeCastro has been there a really long time. Uh, Villanueva has been there a while. Uh, Matt Feeler is another guy who's been there for a couple of years. The, the big, um, I guess the big weakness at least as far as I've seen so far from the Steelers, is actually a right tackle. So they had Zach Banner, who was their starter week one, um, who had actually been, I think he had been kind of like a journeyman O-line, uh, O-lineman for a while, apparently found some success with the Steelers and became the starter. But he's out, and so they have uh, a backup tackle kind of playing their, at right tackle, uh, Okorafor. 
certainly something where you know hopefully Yannick can line up across from this guy and just win his one-on-one matchups and things would be great I don't know we'll see but uh oh yeah I mean overall it's you know just like the matchup against our line and the Steelers D line like these are the matchups that are going to define how this game is going to go they always define how Raven Steelers are going to go is how well these guys up front play yeah and we have to talk about the fact the Steelers aren't the worst when it comes to running the football right they're not great but not the worst James Conner, I guess, is a healthy guy right now. <laughs> he seems to get unhealthy pretty quickly, but right now he's doing all right. My darling, Anthony McFarlane, isn't really doing much of anything on that squad. And then you got guys like Benny Snell contributing in the past game and whatnot. So this O-line is going to try their best to spring the running back. Uh, and since the Rams have to pay attention to the wide receivers, uh, including Chase Claypool, who will get a handoff or two during the game, that kind of balance attack is going to allow for them to have opportunities to run. Yeah, James Conner is going to be an interesting piece to this game. He uh, has played much better than I thought he would coming into this season. Um, he's on pace for over 1,000 yards if he stays healthy. has uh, been a bit of a part of the pass game, although not a huge piece. Uh, he's been dependable for them, and he's allowed uh, them to not put too much on Big Ben's shoulders uh, for him to for this to be, have to be a one-sided offense, but yeah, I I think though that Connor's a, a running back that this group will uh, extinguish. I don't see any of the Steelers running backs having a huge game, assuming Williams plays, which I think he's supposed to. I think Kafish brought up a great point. Yes, again, uh, Ravens rushing defense really struggles when Brandon Williams isn't in there. Really hurt them on that huge 80-yard run Miles Sanders had last week where uh, Justin Ellis just got blown up, pancaked. Williams back in there with Campbell, and you got LJ Fort back there too. Uh, I think the Ravens will do a pretty good job against the run on Sunday. I'm just hoping if the Steelers run Claypool on like a jet sweep or something, that Patrick Queen or or LJ, (laughs) probably Patrick Queen, but like LJ Fort I guess could maybe as well. It's just run him down and, and tackle him for like a, a little either yeah. behind the line or like, you know, maybe if they're like a four yard gain or something. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping to see all the speed for. Yeah, Tennessee snuffed that right out, so hopefully hopefully the Ravens see what the Titans saw on tape. Yeah. But yeah, I guess we do want to talk about the Ravens secondary versus the Steelers receivers. Uh, as we already said, you've got uh Juju Smith Schuster who Seems hurt this year, but I mean, he's still he's still a threat back there. Uh, Chase Claypool has been has had some huge weeks and some other weeks where he's been pretty quiet. Deontay Johnson just had a huge game against Tennessee. James Washington is a certainly a threat. I think it's going to be interesting to see the Ravens secondary. As we've talked about, it's thin, and the Steelers like to do a lot of spread. So this game's really going to test the the depth of the current secondary, uh, irregardless of how well the the core four, Humphrey, Peters, Elliott, and and Clark are able to perform against this group. So here's the skinny, I think, about the Steelers' current passing attack, and it might be in jeopardy against us. That's the good news. So basically, I think Juju Smith-Schuster is a fantastic second fiddle in any offense, but he cannot perform as a first fiddle just given the kinds of things he's asked to do. And the reason why I think Claypool had a lesser game is because 
now they starting to get respected and, and then Juju had like a huge game is now they starting to get a little bit more respect attention went away from Juju is able to perform again uh, similar with Deontay Johnson and when he's available so I honestly don't think Juju can produce and be as dominant as we see on his own but once attention is split he's very good now Deontay Johnson is looking like he'll be out this game Sad to all the fantasy owners out there, including myself, and I think Kfish. Uh, <laughs> is he? Had, uh, I hadn't seen that. I I don't, I don't know. It did look pretty, man. I, I just and he's also just one of those guys that when he gets hurt, I get I get skittish. All right. Well, he's questionable. There's no updates about him as of this recording, but I think that is the the thing to note though about their passing attack is uh, Juju is way better. And makes it scarier once there's somebody else that's respected. I think Deontay Johnson is a star. I mean, you watch him, and he just has that that knack. Like he knows where to throw his body weight uh, to make a defender miss after he makes a catch. He just has those instincts. And uh, Claypool's a freak of nature. He's like another kind of uh, DK Metcalf body type, huge, fast, physical. So he's definitely the better Miles Boykin right now. Didn't Juju have a decent game, like, ignore the the game-losing fumble? But uh, last year, didn't he do decently well against Marlon Humphrey? Yeah, he definitely did. Yeah, he did get a touchdown on a play that, that Marlon did the move we love where he tries to knock out the football, but Juju uh, snuffed that coming and, and stiff-armed Marlon to the ground at the five-yard line and went in. <laughs> but Marlon got him back as... Uh, everyone probably remembers in overtime with the strip and set up another Justin Tucker game-winning field goal. So I think it, it has a potential to be a really interesting, really good matchup between Marlon Humphrey and Juju. I would imagine that Marlon's going to get the more physical receiver and Peters will be on Johnson and or Claypool um, since they're the, the speed guys. But yeah, I think I think Alec brings up a great point though. Uh, if if the Ravens focus too much on one guy, then it's pretty easy for the Steelers to be like, okay, you're going to take away Johnson and, and Juju. We'll go to we'll go to Claypool. If you're on Johnson Claypool, there's Juju. So, kind of yeah, it's it's a similar issue that they they had to deal with against the Chiefs. We'll definitely see if the if the extra week off allow them to dial up a better defensive scheme than they had in that game. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be huge, you know, and especially with a guy like Ben Roethlisberger throwing the football to him. Guys, he's been around forever. I, like, I don't know if we all remember like when Roethlisberger became QB for the Steelers, but it's been forever. I was at that game. <laughs> I, I remember it so vividly. It's just because I have like a, a tentpole memory of it, like watching the game at the Annunciation yeah. Library and stuff. Yeah, this guy's <laughs> been around forever. Like it, at this point, like it, it's 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 just such, such a funny thing because you know he's been one of those guys who's always like teased retirement for like 10 years now i think it's probably happened like every offseason they're like oh is ben coming back oh i don't know but now at this point it feels like he's gonna break like brady's record like he's gonna be around like 10 years after brady retires which is really frustrating as a ravens fan sometimes because we're just like please retire so we don't have to deal with you put in mason again <laughs> but uh you know as, as long as he's there like you know he can he can make any throw to any receiver on the field so you know, Ravens are going to have to bring their A game for sure uh, to guard whoever is going to have the football because as long as Ben is there, he's going to make some freak throw and make plays. It was kind of funny. I was looking at, you know, our division and as a whole, and Steelers are the only team without um, a young quarterback. 
Ben's been having a good year, like you were saying, but I, I wonder if they start looking more to set up that heir apparent. It definitely feels like it's time. And uh, maybe they can stop drafting good wide receivers for a minute and go and get one. <laughs> I want to move on to the linebacker group, if you guys are willing, because as we talked about the running game, I think what we didn't talk about is their tight ends. They did acquire Eric Ebron. It'll be the first time we see that guy in a Steelers uniform. And we'll have to have Queen and LJ Fort cover him. Queen's been growing every single game. Defensive Rookie of the Year rumblings are all around him. And I think we're looking for him to continue to grow uh, in his role as the season progresses I think one player we've stopped talking about, we haven't talked about him for weeks, Malik Harrison. What's our expectation of this guy going forward? Uh, yeah, I your uh, your guess is as good as mine. Um, I think again, this is another guy that we look at. Um, I would put Ben Powers and Ben Bredersen in the same category of it's just kind of hard for us to gauge where these players are right now because we didn't have a preseason to look at these guys and the game action they have had has been. It's been really limited. Harrison, as much as we said, Queen struggled in coverage. Harrison kind of struggled even more and really hasn't made any splash plays yet. Uh, but, you know, hopefully during the bye week, yeah, he got coached up a bit and, you know, just give... I, I always think the bye week is interesting with rookies because it's like you had your first taste of the NFL and then, you know, now you get a breather, just kind of catch your breath, just be like, okay, this is the NFL, get the, you know coaches can talk you up on, on what went really well and then what are the things you got to work at and then uh hopefully you see those guys it takes some improvement in the second half of that but i wouldn't think we would see much of him this game with it being so important for standing in the afc north i don't i don't think harrison has shown that he's ready yet for to have a big role in this game but maybe going forward in some of the matchups maybe like against the colts and the uh, Cowboys coming up is maybe when we'll see more of him when the stakes aren't as high. Yeah, I think Ford's just playing too good right now. And like you said, Harrison's had some weak spots. A handful of plays that I can remember off the top of my head, he's just seemed a little out of position or, you know, made a bad read or, you know, has to backpedal because now he's, you know, vacated his own or something. Um, there's still a learning curve. You know, I, I don't I don't expect him to have uh, much of an impact this year at all. Hopefully next year, uh, if you know the NFL is able to have a full off season, a full program, uh, he'll be able to come in and and hopefully have an impact the following year. But I, I really don't see him having too much of an impact moving forward outside of the handful of snaps that he gets a game. Yeah, I, I think maybe we just set the expectations too high, and it doesn't help that you know his draft mate is is playing relatively well. I, I kind of agree. I wouldn't expect many plays from him this game. And even, you know, moving forward, maybe, maybe they try to sneak him in there for a little bit, but yeah, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't see him contributing much this year at all. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting. Harrison, I think it's important to remember he's a rookie. This is his first year, only first six games of game action, but yeah, I think it can't be understated what we've seen with LJ Fort. There was really no reason for the Ravens to, to keep him around after they got Queen and Harrison. It still stands that he's he's done everything that the Ravens need him to do. Like he's, he's a guy who just knows how to play the position. Uh, he always knows where to line up, how to play the, the position fundamentally. And he's always going to do everything right. Maybe, but just maybe not spectacularly. You know, mm-hmm. he's just, he's just a guy that, that, you know, 
he knows what to do. It's, it was kind of like Alec in sixth grade gym class. I don't know if he remembers that, but whenever we were doing, uh, uh, you know, whatever you do in gym class, drills or, or exercise, whatever you want to say, and the gym teacher would come around, he would come and he would see Alec do the thing, whatever we were doing, like basketball layups or whatever. And he would just be like, Alec, I can never, I can never get upset at you because you always do it. You always do everything right. <laughs> but at the same time. I was not an athletic assessment. <laughs> <laughs> you said oh yeah it, no me. i'm not like i'm just i'm not i have no physical gifts <laughs> um i've played flag football with alec as well so yeah and i kind of see it as lj fort like that's not to say he doesn't make plays but when he does make plays you, you don't look at that and just be like wow that's that's a guy who who sells tickets to you know <laughs> for nfl sunday game pass it's just like no he's just he's in there and he did the right thing and and he's dependable when you're waiting on these two young linebackers to to develop to be hopefully Pro Bowl talent. He's very similar to Clark. I thought you were just going to go with that because I'm sure the listeners of the pod know who Chuck Clark. Is. <laughs> yeah, no one knows about my athletic ability, Peter, but now they do. <laughs> oh man, that's too funny. But uh, yeah, he's he's had a great season. I mean, a guy a guy I'm really looking forward to this game is uh, Deshaun Elliott. Because, you know, we talked about it in the Eagles recap, but he had a, a monster game. I mean, had two forced fumbles, could have had an interception, and he seemed pretty upset that he was like, man, I should have caught that ball. It was like, there's no excuse for that. Like, I have to make plays like this. I am very curious to see whether he uh, picks up where he left off and, and continues to make an impact. Uh, you know, the more production we can get out of, of him and of Clark, the better it's just going to be overall for us to be able to make a big play or force the Steelers into making negative plays. Yeah, let's talk about that secondary. So we talked earlier that Des Bryant was added and who perished for that. I couldn't believe it when I heard. I was pretty shocked. But uh, Gilchrist was released. So our already thin position group after the injury to Averett is thinner still. And I don't know. It's like our starters are the best. I would say the starting four are the best in the league. I would put that stamp. But the uh the depth is lacking we got jimmy and then after that it gets real nasty and they're gonna have a huge test against these wide receivers yeah i mean jimmy smith's done well in the role that they've had him in definitely doesn't look like the jimmy smith of old he looks like he's a guy who's who's played many nfl seasons and has had many injuries but they made good use of him but yeah without brandy carr filling the role that he did last year and obviously Tavon Young out for the year. Uh, the Ravens are ha- having to figure out on the fly what they're doing here with bringing guys who's who, you know we really have no no knowledge of what they've done in the NFL. Really young guys, and so far it's worked. But yeah, they're going to be tested here. They got two games coming up against Pittsburgh before the season ends. Uh, Tennessee, you know, has. A.J. Brown and some other offensive weapons outside around him. You're just going to glance over Alex's favorite wide receiver, Corey Davis? Oh, stop it. I said they have some other weapons. I, I lump Corey Davis into their other weapons <laughs> section. They're really It's A.J. Brown and everyone else, man. Even if Corey Davis was actually, you know, solid possession receiver that we expected him to be, like, A.J. Brown is, is such a beast, and I'm sure we will talk quite a bit about that with a— uh, Titans fan Tim uh, when that episode comes. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the secondary, I think, it, it like you're saying, it's it's such an interesting position group because it is 
at the at the forefront, it's the best position group on the team. But at the back end, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, and it's super interesting too because you have some guys like, you know, if I'm looking at the Ravens depth chart right now, Chris Board is is backing up uh, Patrick Queen apparently. But honestly, we really haven't seen him too much in that middle linebacker role. He's actually been playing kind of like a hybrid safety role. Like they put him in as the third safety on some plays, which has been extremely uh, odd. I had no idea that he had played safety. I thought that, you know, I remember like two years ago, Wink was saying like, oh yeah, he's playing really well. He's going to be our starting middle linebacker. And then a couple of weeks later, we're like, who is this guy? Like, where'd he go? Like we, we already were hyping him up. But yeah, I had no idea that he was actually, I think a safety in college, kind of similar to, um, to Anthony Levine, kind of one of those guys who can play both roles. So he might be an answer for some safety depth, but <laughs> you tell him, to, tell him to play against, you know, AJ Brown. If Marlon, God forbid, were to go out, like that's not going to work. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh it's pretty scary. Just looking at the depth chart here. I mean, you see two guys in every spot and that's it. So definitely going to be a group that we're going to have to rely on that extended practice squad. Let's uh, DaCosta pull another rabbit out of the hat. Yeah. We thought coming into this episode that more of the moves we made as one of our, hypothesis is why we didn't do a uh yannick and gakwe uh emergency pod We're like ah there'll be more and yeah we had des bryant but that one's not, not nearly as interesting <laughs> so i think another another shoe will fall but it didn't come this week as an aside do we know if uh has brandon carbon picked up by anyone yet he's not he's out there he's cut by the cowboys or no is that yeah. where he was yeah yeah cowboys, cowboys. yeah cowboys yeah which made sense because that's where he was originally drafted. Was it? Wait, was he drafted with by Dallas or Kansas City? He was with both teams. I can't remember which of the two actually drafted him. But yeah, I'm looking here. Apparently, there's a headline that Brandon Carr and the defensive backs coach there did not jive, and that's why he was cut. Drafted by the Chiefs and then went to the Cowboys as a free agent. But yeah, I mean, Carr's older, but they they had a good role for him last year that he he did pretty well in. So. Maybe that's somewhere they'll go, but you also have to wonder if that is. Why has why hasn't he been signed yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard uh, rumors of that, and then also looking at TJ, bring him in, uh, good locker room guy, and can be asked to do some things. But uh, I I just don't see them going back to those wells. I just feel like they moved on, and they're not actually looking at those guys. Yeah. I mean, you know what, you know what one thing that the Ravens can do today that would really help offset the lack of of, of depth at these position groups? Run the damn ball. <laughs> Time of possession, baby. They get better at running the football, they keep their defense on the bench, less opportunities for them to get hurt. <laughs> Pinga. <laughs> Establish. Establish the run, baby. Well, let's go into our bold predictions. I went back and I looked, you know, going back to that earlier conversation, how this is a huge game, Seattle game. I was the only one who chose the Ravens to win that game, but everyone had it within a field goal. So I think this might be a similar one. Uh, I'm willing to start with my score predictions because someone at work asked me, so I pre-thought about it for once. (laughs) (laughs) I think I I added in here, so I, I went and looked... Vegas's line right now is Ravens are a 5.5 favorite. Uh, the over-under is 49 points, and the applied score is 27 to 22. I'm going to say the Ravens cover. I'm going to say we beat the uh, – we'll go over, and therefore I'm saying it's 30 to 24 Ravens. 
my bold prediction of how we get there is the Ravens with Ngakwe continue their trend and we get six sacks or more. And that'll be such a great thing to see. Get down, Ben. Stay down, Ben. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of crazy that Vegas has the line at five and a half because like the Ravens and Steelers are notorious for like being usually like one person wins by three or four. So the five and a half feels like a lot. I guess for me, my score prediction is 34-30 Ravens, of course. Bold prediction, J.K. Dobbins 100 yards receiving. Whoa. Wow. Someone's going to break one. Is that too bold? That is pretty bold. We've I mean, we, we've lowered the, the, the amount of bold. I said DuVernay was going to have 80 yards and two scores against Philadelphia, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm sticking with it. I believe. I think he's going to – this is going to be the game. Oh, I think it's going to happen. I just don't know if it's, you know, this Sunday. But eventually, sure, yeah, why not? Oh, and we can't forget my great bold prediction of 200-plus yards combined between Hollywood and Dobbins against Kansas City. That one worked out well. I'm having trouble with this one, guys. I don't know whether I should continue to go the – Ravens victory route or maybe I should try and get the spread here and say that you know the Ravens might drop one like I, I don't want it to happen and but I do think it's a possibility here ah, who am I kidding I'm a Ravens fan of course I'm gonna say the Ravens are gonna win I won't judge you <laughs> I think it's gonna be close it's gonna definitely be close honestly uh I think it's gonna be less than the spread five points that's that's still too much for me I think it's gonna be a field goal and if I had to put money on it I'm gonna pick the guy who can kick field goals longer than 40 yards on Justin Tucker I I don't know I think I told you guys during the uh the Steelers and Titans game apparently Boswell is perfect from this year but he hasn't his longest field goal is 40 yards unbelievable I'm like how can you be perfect if you're kicking like if you're kicking like short dime like come on like this is a gimme field goals come on I, I would be willing to bet JT could uh, do that left-footed if he needed to. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Dude, he might he might start uh, trying to do a left-foot kick if he just gets too bored. Yeah, maybe. I'll go, you know what, this sounds like an old-fashioned score, but I'll go 27-24 Ravens. My bold prediction is that the Ravens are going to have two turnovers. Yeah, I'm in the similar vein of everyone. Looks like we've all picked the game to be within a touchdown. It's an interesting discussion that we didn't get into. Uh, some people, some talk has been going around this week. Are the Steelers the best team in the AFC? And some, with some, they're getting some traction that they are. I don't think they're quite as good as their record. Uh, Tennessee had a great chance to turn that game into overtime. Uh, they've had other games that almost got out of hand against uh, against. Um, Denver, of all teams, Denver was a team that almost came back and made things interesting against them, which isn't to say they're not good. They're a very good team, but I don't think they're quite 6-0 and good at this point. I think the reason that I'm going to give the Ravens the edge is the Ravens are coming off the bye, and the only times the Ravens have lost coming off the bye were 2013 and 2015, which were years that the Ravens were not very good. Despite the fact this team is not, you know, been quite as good as we've hoped yet they're better than both those years i'm gonna say 24 to 20 ravens and then for my bold prediction i want to ask you guys if i can do this can i do a double or nothing for my bold prediction because i have two bold predictions but i can't decide which one i want more (laughs) i mean yeah that happened last week right (laughs) or our last guest gave us two is that what happened i can't remember 
Yeah, okay. So I'm going to do double or nothing, which means if one happens, but the other doesn't, then I don't get any points. But I'm going to say that the Ravens' sure. defense does not allow the Steelers to eclipse 20 points, and Campbell knocks down three of Ben's passes, at least. Oh, oh wow. Okay. I think it's certainly doable, because I was watching that throwing motion of his, and like I don't think he gets that much like lift sometimes, you know? He throws it kind of flat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. This team is, uh, despite the fact that we came in with the uh, reigning MVP on the offense and lots of weapons we were excited to see, this is a Baltimore Ravens team if we've ever seen one. This defense is suffocating, and uh, the offense will do what it takes to win, and sometimes they'll do way more, and it'll look great. Uh, and they have the talent to do so. It's a lot more fun than watching uh, uh, Trent Dilfer and, uh, <laughs> you know, Brandon Stokely. There's definitely some more talent here. But um, this is a this is a traditional old school Ravens team. And it's a lot of fun to watch. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the nostalgia. Well, thanks, guys, for sticking through this longer episode. We had a lot to cover, kind of talking about where we are in the midseason and also the Steelers game that we think is going to be a huge game for the Ravens. I hope that the 4,000 fans there bring it. Make it sound like 70. K-Fish, thanks for joining us. It was a lot of fun. We'll hope to have you on soon. Make sure to check us out, Ravens underscore recap. We've been posting a lot of the things we talk about there. Any kind of cool things we see throughout the week, we'll share there. And also feel free to reach out, feedback at ravensrecap.com you want to send us an email get your opinions on the show we love to have that too we'll see you soon go ravens